0: As soon as Naomi gets seated, I'll start. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Father, I pray that as we continue our um, study of the Psalms, that you'll help us to um, focus on you and in our enjoyment of you and our love of you. Help us to um, walk with Asaph through this this psalm and. Um, learn to really yearn for you and love you i pray in jesus name amen, amen. all right ready. <laughs> <laughs> all right so Where we start? this is totally wrong <laughs> do you want to start um ian's going to tell us about asaph So that's um, the first six verses of the psalm, Psalm 73 we're doing, and um, actually a little bit about the structure. So you know the psalms probably are are grouped into five books, and this is the beginning of book three. So the, um, the first book has 41, second book has 31, and this one only has 17. Um, It's also, uh, people say it's kind of darker, a little more um, questioning and um, not as many. There's only one psalm by David. The first two books have a lot of psalms by David, but this is mostly Asaph. So uh, 11, first 11 in book three are by Asaph. And then uh, four by the sons of Koran, one by Ethan the Ezraite, and then one by David. That's the actual scroll that he wrote on. There we go. All right.
1: Okay. So, I thought it was pretty cool that it was written by Asaph. So, Asaph was a Levite and he and his brothers, uh, Heman and Jethethon, and then Ethan was in there as well. I don't know if he was actually a brother though. Maybe an extended cousin. So, they were all Levites and they were appointed by King David to be ministers in front of the ark. And they were essentially the worship team almost 300 of them would be out there playing trumpets and lyres and cymbals. Um, and they were kind of inaugurated as ministers before the Ark of the Lord to invoke, thank, to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. Um, second to him were Zechariah, Jehiel, Shemiramoth, the great name, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaya, Obedah, Edom, and Jael, who were to play harps and lyres. Asaph was to sound the cymbals, and Benaniah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. So he was a a contemporary of David. Um, He maintained his post throughout the time of King Solomon as well. And as we can see, his psalms made it all the way into our Bible and have been used ever since.
0: What was his instrument of choice? Yeah,
1: yeah so th- in my mind, I had images of him, you know, clashing two huge symbols together, uh, but you did a quick Google search, I guess, and the symbols used in those days were small hand <laughs> symbols. More like um, a tambourine,
0: I guess. It was actually Duck, Duck, go. I don't use Google. Oh, okay. So. Okay. Oh, so that's the trumpets, what they probably looked like. And then the little cymbals. But
1: yeah, that last part, the number of them along with their brothers who were trained in singing to the Lord, all who were skillful, were 288. Now, I have been to a megachurch before in Texas, and they had a choir, 85 people singing in the choir. That was nothing compared to this. (laughs) Anyway, so every day out there ministering to the people of Israel. And it is important that he was a Levite. Um, I'm not going to read all of this, but just pointing out that once again, he continued on into the reign of King Solomon and his sons were actually there when King Hezekiah was around.
0: Um, One of the, uh, the cool things about this, I think, is that when we read the psalm, when we finally get to the psalm, um, it's important that when he goes into the sanctuary, that's when everything changes for him. So here, why don't don't you read the last part, the last sentence? Uh, (laughs) It starts way up, doesn't it? Um, Well, they go, they're dedicating the sanctuary and um, the presence of the Lord comes down on them, right? Uh, You want me to read that? Yeah, for he is good.
1: Okay, yeah, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God.
0: Okay, so we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves here, but it wasn't just the sanctuary, it was the presence of God that was important to him. All right, Um, 2 Chronicles.
1: Oh, and Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed down and worshipped. Um, there are a couple other passages scattered throughout Chronicles that indicate that Asaph and his brothers were prophesying with um, with their songs. And I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah, that's strange. So... Um, we we talked about when he goes into the sanctuary was it the temple or was it the tabernacle, and um, we arm wrestled over it essentially. I and won. He won. So, which <laughs> no we don't we don't really know because he was around for the deca- dedication of the temple, so we don't know when he wrote it. But it might have just been this, the tabernacle because he says the sanctuary. So, uh,
1: I have a theory about when, but we'll we'll get into that. Later. Yes,
0: we'll get there. All right, what's the structure? Do you want to just read through? No, you should. Okay, fine. So um, one way to to structure the psalm is, it starts off with Asaph affirming God's goodness, then he envies the wicked. He describes the wicked, and all that is going well for them. He flirts with a wrong conclusion. Um, Then the turning point comes in 16 and 17. Uh, He expresses a new awareness of the destiny of the wicked has a new awareness of himself, has a new awareness both of God's presence and of how he genuinely blesses the righteous. And then at the last two uh, wonderful verses, he sums up the true state of the wicked and asserts his faith. All right, so oh, let's should, read it.
1: We should read the psalm, yes. And since we're a father and son duo, we're going to attempt to go back and forth <laughs>
0: <laughs> respons- okay, so this is Psalm 73, if you want to turn to it, that would help you, I'm sure. Um, a Psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart.
1: But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped.
0: For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked.
1: For they have no pangs until death, Their bodies are fat and sleek.
0: They are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind.
1: Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression.
0: They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. I would have betrayed the generation of your children.
1: But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task.
0: Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly,
1: you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin.
0: How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors.
1: Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms.
0: When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you.
1: My flesh and my heart may fail, But God is the strength of my heart and my
0: portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me,
1: it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen. I think before we get started into our analysis, I should ask you, what made you pick
0: this song? Uh, Well, you know, seven is the perfect number, and three is the number of the Trinity. Add them together, you get the Ten Commandments, so you can't go wrong. (laughs) Uh, No, it's actually, um, (laughs) verse 25 is the, I just love that verse. It might be my favorite verse in the Bible, the one about whom have I in heaven but you, and there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Um, Partly I love it because I just can't imagine feeling that way totally. Um, when I think about like, who I have in heaven, there's my grandparents, my father, a lot of friends. Um, and of course, there are things I desire on earth, but, but to live like that, to, to put God first is a goal. What about you? Why did you pick it? Uh. We, by the way, he saw that my name was on there, and he said, you picked Psalm 73. I was gonna do that. So that's how we ended up together.
1: We were independently considering this, yeah. And Psalm 73, I think for me, when I read it, I get I get themes of suffering and temptation and how Asaph goes through each of them. And the more I studied it, the more it felt like he was telling a story from his own experiences. He wasn't just writing a praise song for the congregation. No, he was speaking voice to his own experiences. And it, it translates pretty well into the modern world and, and it's not so long. not like Psalm 119, <laughs> so it's easy to read.
0: Yeah, somebody here suggested we do Psalm 37 too, but it was so long, so <laughs> we couldn't do them both. All right, let's just go with this. <laughs> okay, um, so uh, let's go through and, and discuss it. Truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart.
1: Well, I did mention it, but I do think we can kind of treat this as a story, and to me, this is kind of like like To Kill a Mockingbird, where you have kind of the almost the conclusion in the very beginning of the story. Asaph, when he writes this, he's already gone through everything, and he just wants to let the listeners know up front, hey, this is a message of hope
0: for you. And... Uh when he says, my feet, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. He does, he does mention slipping later on too, but then it's the, the wicked who slipped, as we'll see, which is kind of cool. It's really beautifully written. There are a lot of um, references, parallels, versus uh, words that are brought up later on, images. So we'll try to point those out. So who are the wicked? <laughs> you don't. You don't want to know. <laughs> um, do you think he's talking about Gentiles or or Jews here? What do you think? I think
1: there's only one right answer, and they better get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding.
0: <laughs> okay. Was that the right answer? No. No, <laughs> <laughs> No. I mean, yes, but. Well, obviously, anybody can be w- wicked, but um, yeah. keep that in mind. Think, think about who is, who is he interacting with, who he's kind of annoyed by, upset by. Um, for I was, I was, he's noticed he says my steps had nearly slipped. Um, what, are, what are the sins that he's in danger of slipping into? To some extent, yeah. Yeah, Tim. Envy, arrogance, those things (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely envy is a big one. Ian, you said pride. Why did you say pride? To
1: me, uh, the idea of pride pops up several times here. The idea that your plan is better than God's plan. Um, He is a Levite after all, and it comes up later, but they really depended on the Lord. Like they had no portion in the inheritance with Israel and so they depended on sacrifices to the Lord and sometimes um, sometimes it would not be clear where their bread was coming from for the next day. So when he sees others around him who have life easy and he thinks maybe God's plan isn't the best way to go after all.
0: Yeah, so it's a, it's a lack of faith too in God's providence. So he kind of covers a lot of sins. There. Probably not gluttony, but everything else. Right. All right. Um to my agree with Lieutenant Waters and is here. So just this idea of handy and it's a it's a it I mean it's
2: directly related to the next person, right? yeah.
0: True. Yeah. He was like on the ice and he went and he caught himself. Were you gonna say something, Greg? That's good. I like that. That's good. Uh, uh, There's a lot of contrast like that. Um, So in this case, speaking. Look at other things to look out for. Heart, and um, you mentioned that a few times. Um, The purity or innocence comes up again. So yeah, I like that. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. I pictured harbor seals. I don't know about you, but. Harbor seals, they're like fat and sleek and they, they go through the water. It was good back then to be fat and sleek, believe me. When when people <laughs> starve to death, right? Um, they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. So why don't we talk about suffering?
1: So two things here. One, this is where my mind was going to put, a, maybe, maybe this is when he wrote the Psalm, but in First Chronicles 21, um, David is, I guess he's influenced by Satan to take a census of the people, and God doesn't want him to, and he goes ahead and does that, and God essentially sends an angel saying, "Hey, you've got a choice. Like, I'm going to punish you, but you can choose how you want your fate to go. Do you want famine, pestilence, death by the sword?" And he chooses pestilence, so a plague strikes through. Israel and kills 70,000 people. And I'm wondering if this is perhaps the incident that Asaph is writing his psalm around. I mean, you have people who are not affected by that. They are not suffering like the rest of the populace. Just possible context. But more importantly for us and the contrasts that we see, like Greg had pointed out with the beginning and the end, um, we also see how Asaph is suffering, and then in contrast to how the wicked suffer. They may not look like they're suffering here, but Asaph is gonna point out a little later on what happens to them when they do suffer. And I think first we'll see Asaph suffering and how yeah. he deals with it, and then the wicked, so.
0: Yeah, he doesn't like lay it on thick, but he definitely suffers. Is there anybody here who has never suffered, never had hard, hardships?
1: Do I see that baby <laughs> raising a
0: hand? No. <laughs> so it is, I think it does apply to all of us. Do you have some threshold <laughs> <laughs> you want to set? You want to be like one of the top sufferers? I want to be like the top sufferers? I want to be like, raise my hand, say I'm not gonna have a hand chopped off, see? It's true, there's a, um I think it was Thomas Carlyle, Thomas Carlyle wrote about um, that so much is is about your expectations and setting setting low expectations makes life better. And he said, you know, um, say you're gonna be hanged. Uh, Well, if it's a nice soft rope and not a scratchy rope, you should be thankful for that. So keep that in mind if it comes to it. Uh, Therefore, pride is their necklace. And as Ian noticed, pride is showcased three times, also in verses nine and 11. Um, uh, Violence covers them as a garment. Ian, what kind of garment is that?
1: Well, (coughs) the original translation references a burnous, which is a robe with a hood, looks just like that.
0: Which I thought is pretty cool because it's like totally covered, right? Violence just completely covers them head to toe. Bless you. Um, Again with the fatness. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. Um, So what other sins are they guilty of? This is kind of obvious, but... Neil? (laughs) What other sins besides pride? Do you see any there? Then you can help, too. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. You can turn to your mother for help. <laughs> no idea. Help them out, Sarah. Violence, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they, they hate people. They're, they're malicious. Dave? You got one? Do um, what do they mean by violence? In uh, like we, we outsource a lot of our violence to the government. We, we uh, like push our values, we force everybody, a lot of times, but else, but we say, everybody has to be like this. And, you know, right? whatever. Yeah. So what, is the, what do they mean here with, with this? This probably is the government. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean these guys these are the elite these are the rich right so they're they are outsourcing to their cronies, but I guess is what you Yeah The the covering with a garment to to me suggests um protection they they they've got their bodyguards whatever they they they're protected by um Okay, so uh, when it says in the last verse there, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth, what's the NIV say?
1: So I think the NIV might have a, a slightly clearer translation going at the meaning of the verse, but their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth, both talking to maybe the greed that they have, but also contrasting it to Asaph, when later on in verse 25, he talks about his desire um, where they're laying claim to maybe earthly things and even laying claim to heaven. Uh, Asaph's desires for God.
0: In and heaven and, and earth. earth,
2: yeah.
0: Other totally, yeah. And we see it throughout the Bible, with Tower of Babel, etc. OK. Um, therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Um, the commentators agree that his has to be God's people, right? So the yeah, like I think so. Nope. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so who were, who were the great evil men of the 20th century? Did, who'd you say? Hitler. Mao, Hitler, Stalin, who else? Hitler. Come on, Idi Amin, Pol Pot, all of them. Yeah, he said Mao tongue. All of them atheists, um, who, did any of them die young? Hitler's the only one, I think, who actually got, he had to kill himself, died a little prematurely. The others, you look at them as like, they're strutting against heaven, I'm in charge, I'm, I'm a big man. Nobody, they all lived long lives. I think Pol Pot just died of old age. It's kind of annoying, right? You, you wanna see them crushed, but, yeah. So, um, he's, he's definitely annoyed, poor Asaph. Uh We already saw Bernice, okay. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault. Another problem is that other Israelites are looking at them and saying, maybe that's the way to go, right? They're doing pretty well. Um, And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Oh, the turning away, he's turning away. That was in the Hebrew, wasn't
1: it? That was the original Hebrew.
0: Yeah, it was repeated twice. Turning away, turning away, yes. Yeah, that's a good point, because you, th- you think, from reading this, you think, oh, it must be like one of the evil kings. Everybody's turning away. It and the, be the evil king, but no. No, but it is true, right, that there's always people being seduced away by the wicked, by, by success. Uh, I mean, certainly now, and who am I to say we have an evil king? Um, it's just where people are seduced by riches, by success, by um, pleasure, but it happens in all, all times, right? So it's a good point.
1: Yeah, and I will say to that, is he talking about the Israelites under King David or to the surrounding nations even? Um, of course, I was joking when I said there's one right answer and you better get it. But to me, maybe one of the clues is if the people are truly saying, how can God know is their knowledge in the most high? Who is going to call God the most high if not the Israelites, because I'm pretty sure all of the surrounding nations have their own gods that they worship, and so they probably believe that their own god is the most high and probably would want their god to conquer the Israelite god. So unless Asaph is writing this in from his own perspective, um, doing honor to God in that way, this might be a clue that it is the Israelites who are uh, dissatisfied?
0: Does does this seem? Oh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. yeah, flocks, who wouldn't want flocks of sheep and cattle? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true, I, th- I think that's absolutely true. Um, does, it, does this make you think of anybody else in the, in the Bible? People who are struggling with why are the wicked prospering? Job for sure, you weren't supposed to see that. but Yeah, um, anybody else? Like another book of the Bible that takes it up. Yeah. Does he? Does he complain? He's. Yeah, not too. I mean, he's pretty good about that. Amazingly. (laughs) Wait. Jeremiah, okay, well, I teach, I went here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jeremiah, absolutely. I was thinking of Ecclesiastes too, because he he's trying to figure it out, Where, why, why is this? And it seems wrong to him. But Job and, and um, Kohelet or whatever is the preacher, right? They're um, trying to understand. And um, we can talk about that at the end. The, the um, answers that they come up with so Job, Job thought he was innocent, so it was particularly tough on him, right? Because why, why is he losing everything and being punished? Why is he suffering so much? Um, anybody watch, uh, listen to the Just Thinking podcast? Nobody, it's so good. Do you? Do you? Okay, so you know Daryl and Verge, Omaha, Daryl Verge. So Daryl Harrison, he, uh, on a recent podcast, he said, we are saved to suffer Um, And there is that verse about uh, Paul, where Paul, I should have written it down, Paul talks about filling up what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ, which sounds outrageous, but he certainly thought that we were intended as Christians to suffer. So um, we shouldn't shouldn't ask, like, why? Why am I suffering? Okay, so then, then we get, yeah, Rob. I, w- I was thinking about that. How um, it's it's almost proverbial that wealthy people who are at the top aren't aren't really as happy happy as you think they would be, right? Um, I don't think Tom Brady is a terrible person, but think about hi- him. He was like making millions and millions. He's the best player in football. He's married to a supermodel, and they get divorced. Like, what's up with that, right? You would think he'd be so happy, but um, it's because they don't. They're not. Happy in the right things, right they're not content with God, and all the other things don't don't satisfy, so I think you're right they there's always that emptiness um, okay, back to so now that now there's um, a bit of a turning point. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches, all in vain, so that kind of sums up the wicked. How good for them, right. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. So there's that, remember at the beginning, the Lord is good to those who are pure. Yep. And he's saying like, I've been trying. What's the point?
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a, he's a Levite. He's leaning on God for, to provide for him. He is part of the holy tribe of Israel and they are set apart from the other nations to be holy Um, Even looking forward thousands of years to us, it's similar to the process of sanctification that we go through that makes us holier. Um, And I feel like Asaph is kind of questioning, is God's law, is his will for me, is it really producing results? And I think to Rob's point where you were saying maybe the wicked know that they're not happy I wonder if some of them would look on their wealth and say, well, this is proof that my God has blessed me. And Asaph is looking at his meager portion and saying, well, this is proof that God has not blessed me. So his, his steps are very nearly slipping here.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> and who is the favorite, Rob? <laughs> oh, we all know it's Corey. come on. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah.
0: everybody around me is living a much way. Yeah. No, uh, you agree, right? I agree. Oh I totally agree. Totally. Yeah. We agree. Yeah. And and as as I know we're all aware, we don't even suffer that much compared to you know, when, when we read the um the Persecuted Church each week, it's terrible what goes on. So David Ah, uh, fomo right, you knew that, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I had said, "I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children, actually, just last night, I had a little different thought about this, because uh, I, I kept thinking, oh he he was almost slipping, he didn't slip. But I'm not so sure. I think he was he had he had slipped into envy and, and doubt, but he didn't speak. He didn't speak it. He said, if I had said, I would have betrayed the people I'm ministering to, right? Because again, he's a Levite. And so he was he was thinking about all this. and like, hmm. I thought how to understand this. It seemed to me a wearisome task. That sounded like a lot like Ecclesiastes. Apophysis, this is a really cool example of apophysis. (laughs) The Greeks, they had a word for everything. Um, It it means, it's like if you say, some people might say that bow tie looks a little silly on you, but I would never say that. (laughs) So, it's a a great way of saying something without saying it, right? (laughs) <laughs> Just <an> like <example. laughs> <laughs> <for> that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it's good. It's great I one. do actually like it. It's great. I wish I could tie one like that. Um, until I went into the sanctuary. So there's the, the turning point. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, and there I discerned their, their end.
1: And this is important because he's clearly trying to puzzle out what's going on, as, as you can see from the picture of Asaph. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to figure out and it just logically doesn't make sense to him based on you know what we know about other nations having gods and the Israelites supposed to be God's chosen people. The, the chain of events is not lining up, but it is important that he goes in to the sanctuary of God. And I think the Holy Spirit gives him an answer
0: so, it's also important that he could not figure it out by logic or reasoning, because it doesn't always make sense to us, right? But he sees that the wicked have the sword of Damocles hanging over them, right? Um, at any moment, disaster could fall, and then what? You don't have God, you all, all you have is your riches, right? Um, th- Question
1: from the front.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like he gets a a better perspective on things.
0: Yep. Absolutely. One, one other um, thing I thought of is that the wicked have their houses built on sand, as we know. And again, they can be swept away. Okay. Um, remember, slippery, he felt like he was slipping, but who's really slipping? The wicked. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I did it, right? Yeah, well, and it is, it's um, who you worship, not where you worship that counts, right? And I, I don't think the Israelites had s- the same sense of that that we do, because they had the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, but but even so, like Bethel is the house of God, and and Jacob met God there, so it, it was, yeah, to be in the presence of God was what really counted, not just that. But also in the Solomon, Passage. Remember that, that's why I wanted you to read that because you feel the presence of God filling up the place and it was just overwhelming. But supposedly, you know, not supposedly, like reality, we have God in us. We're in the presence of God all the time in a way that they couldn't even imagine, couldn't have anticipated, right? Which should, should make us think. All right, come on, it's not going. Oh wait, that's why it had to do its little. Okay, okay. Come on. Uh, no, no. Help me out here, Ian. All right. So they—they're really slipping, falling to ruin. Um, <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: so, you all—you all know the poem *Ozymandias*, right, by Percy b Shelley. I'm not gonna recite it because uh, we don't have time. But he, he, he said, I met a traveler in an antique land who said, and he, he had seen this, like the statue, it used to be this enormous statue and all that was left was the feet and the head with its sneer of cold command on it. And then on, on the pedestal it says, my name is Ozymandias, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, or something like that. Look on my mighty works and despair. And he's gone. Right, he's just, there's the sand and this head and feet. So, that's the wicked. Um, How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. What did we say about that?
1: (laughs) We we (laughs) puzzled over what that meant, so I think we should punt this one to the congregation.
0: Yes. Um, I will just point out that there's a contrast between being fat and sleek and being like a phantom with no body at all, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no reality, there's. What? Okay. Yeah, but I don't remember what.
1: Dust. No,
2: and
1: yes, yeah. right. And what happens after we become dust?
0: Yeah, and um, this is so. To go back to uh, David and Job, um, in Psalm thirty-seven, uh, it seems to be that he's saying God's going to make everything right in this life eventually right will prevail, God will will uh, bring justice. With Job, there are hints of, um, yeah, God does make everything right in this life, but it's it's also after, what happens after. And he believes that in his flesh, he will see God even after he dies, right? Um, so, and then, but this, this Psalm, it's very clear that it's going to be, that he will be with God after he dies, right? And so there's, Um, That belief in the afterlife, I think, built up throughout the Old Testament and then, of course, in the New Testament. But they were a little shaky about what happened in the afterlife in a lot of the Old Testament because they didn't really know, I think. you want to comment on it? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> just, it was good, preach it, okay. <laughs> um, the, the the truly you set them, we don't get this in, in the English, but I just want to point out that um, there's the same word akh is used three times to start different verses in, um, oh no, I can't find it. Verse 13. A one, verse one, when he says, uh, truly God is good to those, to to Israel. It's really like, yeah, or yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, God is good. And here, truly, yes, indeed, you set them in slippery places. And then the other time was uh, 13, which is, it doesn't, in the translation, it just says, all in vain, have I kept my heart clean? But it's really like, yeah, yes, indeed, I have kept my heart vain. He's really feeling bad and asserting it. any, the turnaround, so um, just to point out some of the cool parallelism he does there. All right, so um, moving on. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Couple things
1: here. The uh, The actual translation is he was pricked in his kidneys and kidneys are representative of the feelings and passions that you have so this is I mean this is one of Asaph's darkest moments he is spiraling towards depression um, and his mental state is not really in a good spot I mean he says he was like a beast what does that mean to be like a beast towards God Not not understanding yep yeah like yeah we saw him try to puzzle things out couldn't wrap his mind around it
0: um, also, you know, uh, beasts, what do, what do animals live for? <laughs> okay, <laughs> you don't have to enumerate. I think we figure, we now. But you know, it's instinct, um, food, sleep, that a lot of them are really cute, but they don't, they don't have um, the big picture. They're not thinking ahead, right? So in a way, the, the wicked live like beasts, right? They live like animals. Um, and he's saying, I was, I was doing that. I was being a beast um, toward you, brutish and ignorant. So by the way, um, one other thing about verse 21, it's, it's really not when my soul was embittered, it's when my heart was embittered. And then, um, so if you wake up at night and your kidneys are telling you to go to the bathroom, ask yourself, what does my heart tell me? Okay. <laughs> Don't just follow your kidneys, okay? Nevertheless, okay, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You had something about the right hand. I
1: did, so I thought this was kind of a cool bit of imagery which I'm just gonna explain here instead of asking and fishing for uh, answers. But the right hand is where like the king holds his scepter or the warrior holds his sword. It's like the source of your strength, your right hand um, that's how you like, you rule with your your iron fist, your right hand. So if Asaph is not holding anything on his own, if he's holding on to God's hand, then God is by extension the source of his strength. So I'd
0: that was good. That was
1: good.
0: <laughs> Thanks. I couldn't find symbols. Sorry.
1: <laughs> so at this point, I mean, he's let go of earthly logic. He's let go of. His, I mean his desire for possessions and maybe even the, the portion of Israel 's inheritance that he wishes mm-hmm. he had, and he 's just clinging on to God.
0: I like it. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. So um, what are the benefits of living a life for God rather than material things? Is that too obvious? What are, well, you can read it up there. What are the benefits of living a life for God? instead of material things. Okay, Jay. He receives you. Yeah, you get God is the the big benefit, yeah. Contentment would be another good one, yeah. Beasts are probably content until they get eaten. Okay, so then we get to the, the wonderful last verses. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. Um, so remember, he, he had talked about, uh, well, he comes up. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What's the actual Hebrew
1: there? So the word they use for strength is zur which means rock. But- uh, Which doesn't
0: sound so good because why would you want a rock in your heart?
1: Am I right? Right. (laughs) Or (laughs) your kidney, And in other areas we see the word strength as kikuchi. But uh, I think the the play on rock here also contrasts with um, the wicked being swept away whereas God being the rock of his heart, Asaph is not being swept away. He, I mean, he, like the song says, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Uh, that was probably, probably comes out of here.
0: <laughs> and um, there's the portion again, right? So God is my, my portion, not the, my Levi portion. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Again, it's the emphasis on faith, right? Um, but for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Okay, so what what does it mean to be um, near God? How would you define that? Okay.
1: Right, he was literally there at the but temple, you entering you into the. Province. Could
0: go to the temple and not really be near to God, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, and they of course are, go ahead, Ronnie. Yeah. Um, If you've read Desiring God by John Piper, he he talks about Christian hedonism. So, um, delighting in the presence of God. I just want to quickly mention, he talks about three stages of worship, and hopefully uh, we're moving up the stages, but we all go back to the lower stage at times. The lowest stage is, um, it often returns for a dark season, he says, is the barrenness of soul that scarcely feels any longing and yet is still granted the grace of repentant sorrow for having so little love. So where you want to feel the, the things you're supposed to feel toward God, and maybe you don't, and maybe you know, the service isn't stirring you, but you, you, you're striving for that. Number two, in a prior state, uh, he says, in the second stage, we do not feel fullness, but rather longing and desire. Having tasted the feast before, we recall the goodness of the Lord, but it seems far off. And then the final stage, which hopefully we all hit sometimes, we feel an unencumbered joy in the manifold perfection of God, the joy of gratitude, wonder, hope, admiration. So um, it's not bad to feel, to enjoy and feel during the service and to be uplifted by the hymns and, and the preaching and all. Um, it's not a, just about the feeling, but the feeling comes from gratitude and from thinking about how wonderful God is. And um, so I think he, at the end, he feels that. He feels just how how wonderful it is to make God his refuge. And what, what does that mean, to make God your refuge? From what? And from the evil people too. But uh, Greg, did you have at first, and then Scott? Trust, yes, yeah, Mm. and drawing a false
3: conclusion that that's because of something wrong. Yeah. And whether it's bad or good, it's worshiping
0: God. Yeah, that's definitely a temptation. Yep. Have you ever felt that?
1: Tempted. Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and then the last thing is that I might tell of all your works, um, unlike the wicked who are strutting around with their tongues on the ground and, setting against heaven, and also unlike where he said, if I had said this, I would have betrayed the, your generation. Now he's gonna go out and write this psalm. And um, so we had a bunch more stuff, but we don't have time because we're gonna sing a hymn quick. Cami, quick. Ian, do you want to pass some out
1: there?
0: Yes, let me have There you go. Okay. So um, this is a sort of abridged version of, Psalm 73, thank you.
1: Share a couple one for you, and would you pass one down to Nick? Okay, well, don't think too long. Would you share a few? I'm not sure how many there are there. There's a couple there, would you pass one down to Nick?
0: Leave. Uh, all right. Everybody got one? Uh, okay. We got plenty.
1: One more. pass another one down. Thank you. Did anyone miss one?
0: They're all sharing. That's so nice. Okay. Cool. Ready? <laughs> Do you want to stand up?